There. So if you want to keep your Bibles open, um, at 1 Samuel 31, we're going to refer to it a few times um, throughout this. Um, I wonder if this is you, when there's a new leader, when someone new is in charge, do you see too much potential in them? Whether it be maybe a new prime minister, a new football manager, a new boss at work, whenever they start, are you optimistic? You see the potential for them to be great. I've lost my place already, sorry. You see the potential for them to be great, to sort out government policy, to get your football team back to winning ways, to bring real change about at the office. But all too easily, things can go downhill. The promised policies don't live up to expectation. The new style of play doesn't actually win football matches. The change at the office never really comes. For whatever reason, the person in leadership fails to live up to the potential you saw in them. This is how I feel a little bit about King Saul. At the start of his reign, he was full of promise. At the start, Saul seemed like a good king. But we quickly realise that he is deeply flawed. And by the time we get to this passage, his reign is in tatters. It's fallen apart. I mean, look at the start of this passage. Um, it says this, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. What's recorded here is a huge defeat for the Israelite army. The Philistines have came and completely routed them. Many Israelites have died by the sword, but not only that, so have Saul's three sons. Um, Jonathan, we recognize his name from a few chapters earlier. Jonathan was a great friend of David. But Jonathan was also a leader in the Israelite army. Just a few chapters earlier, it was Jonathan. He was the one that nearly single-handedly led the Israelites to victory when Saul did nothing. In fact, Saul was more of a hindrance in that stage. So by the death of Saul's sons, Israel loses its heirs to its throne, but also its kind of military leadership. It's kind of, there's a big power vacuum if these sons die. So this is not only a huge military defeat with lots of Israelites dead, but it leaves Israel vulnerable with no discernible heir. And in more ways than one, this is a disaster. But it gets worse when we read on, because Saul the king actually dies. Read with me. It says, Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through. Or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But the armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Saul, Israel's first king, is mortally wounded. He asks his armor bearer, who is probably who is with him at all times, to, to finish him off. 
Saul, he didn't see a way out of this. He knew he was critically wounded. He wanted to avoid capture by the Philistines. If you know anything about the Philistines, we see that a few chapters earlier, they wanted to chop the hands off some of their captives. So if they did that to normal Israelites, imagine what they would do to the king. Understandably so, Saul wants to avoid capture. But the armor bearer refuses to kill him. The armor bearer is terrified. Maybe terrified to kill Saul the king. Maybe he's a bit like David, doesn't want to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Or maybe just in the midst of battle, he is shaking in his boots. For whatever reason, we don't know. The armor bearer doesn't do it. So Saul sees no other option, but draws his sword and falls upon it. There is tragic irony here. Saul dies at his own hand. Yes, he was mortally wounded. Yes, he would have died anyway. That says that in the passage. But throughout this book of 1 Samuel, we have seen that Saul's main enemy was not David, was not the Philistines or the Amalekites or any other people group. Saul's main enemy throughout this book has been himself. He has been his own worst enemy. His death is caused by his, his own hand, here literally in the chapter, but also figuratively throughout the book. His, his, this, his downfall has come as a result of his own actions. Because to understand what's going on here, we need to understand the chapters before, the, the rest of 1 Samuel. Because what we see here is the final domino falling in Saul's life. This is a process that has been running throughout the book. Um, in this chapter that we've read this, this, this evening, we can nearly read word for word in the book of Chronicles. It's kind of, Chronicles is written a couple hundred years later than First and Second Samuel, and the, the author of Chronicles adds a little, a little note at the end. Um, he says this. He says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord. If you remember back to chapter 12 during Samuel's farewell speech, um, Samuel warned the people and he warned Saul. He, he said to the people and to Saul, if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, if both you and your king who reigns over you follow the Lord, that is good. But if you do not obey the Lord, if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was your father's. Samuel warns Saul as he goes in his farewell speech. If you obey God, that is good. If not, God's hand will be against you. Samuel's farewell speech here sounds a little bit similar to what Moses says in Deuteronomy as he leaves the, the Israelites um, Moses calls the Israelites earlier to choose life. He says, now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Now, sorry that I've jumped around the Bible a bit. Um, let me summarize this so we're not confused. Saul throughout his life had a choice to obey the word of the Lord, which leads to life, or to neglect the word of the Lord, which leads to death. 
And Saul, we see time and time again, chose the latter. He did not obey the word of the Lord. As Chronicles says, he was unfaithful to the Lord. Through Saul's actions, we see that Saul rejects God's rule in his life. He does not have a heart that seeks to love and obey the Lord. Ultimately, what this is, is what we call sin. To reject God's rule in our lives is to sin. And as we look at this chapter, we see that Saul's death comes as a result of his own sin. Like I said earlier, this is the final domino falling um, throughout a process running throughout the book. But it is uh, this downward spiral in Saul's life has come as a result of his own decisions, his own actions. Um, and we've seen that through um, as, we've, as, we, as we've looked at it over the last few weeks. Um, they, this comes as a result of Saul rejecting God's word, refusing to listen and obey to what the Lord had commanded. So this is my first point, that Saul's demise is a direct result of his rejection of God's word. Because as we, as we look at Saul, as we consider the life of Saul throughout this book, I think we should see part of ourselves in him. I think we should, see, we should be sympathetic to him. I think we should recognize how easy it is to sin, to mess up, to not obey the Lord. Because no one obeys the Lord completely. We all fall short. But as we look at Saul's life, here at the end of his life, we see an opportunity for him to repent. To confess that he has not lived his life in obedience to, the, to God's word. To acknowledge his wrongdoing. But we don't see that. Saul, even at the end of his life, when everything, is, you know, he knows his life is over, he doesn't repent. He still, by his own actions, um, tries to get out of it. So he's, you know, he's not going over the Philistines. So, don't be like Saul, whose heart was hard. Confess to God that we are people who mess up, who do sin, who go our own way. Uh, the psalmist says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God loves it when we come to him as we are, knowing our flaws, knowing our sin. As Christians, we are not people that have it all together. We do not have the strength or the morality to, to live completely according to God's way. We are broken people who struggle with sin, who struggle against this world, who struggle to live lives in obedience to God's word. We need to repent of living lives in such a way. We need to acknowledge that we are not strong, but we are weak. That we actually need God himself by his spirit to help us, to help us live in obedience to him. It is not in our strength that we are obedient to God, it is his. I think it is also important to note that as we look at this chapter, Saul's sin does not affect him alone because sin affects more than the one committing this sin. It's a bit like this diagram, it spills out. Look at verse six with me. Um, it says, so Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men die together the same day. As a result of Saul's sin in today's passage, God handed Israel over to their enemies 
Saul's demise and rejection of God's rule not only affected him, but his family and his people. If you look at that sentence, it's continuous. It's and this, and this, and this. Saul's sin and death has affected numerous people other than himself. Sin affects more than the one committing the sin. We can know this experientially in our own lives, how sin affects more than just ourselves, um, because sin has consequences. Ultimately, the consequence of sin is death, but there are other consequences. Consequences that spill over our lives and affect those around us. Let's take Adam and Eve, for example. Um, if you're familiar with the story, um, they, they sin in the fall. They reject um, God's word and do their own thing. And as a result of that sin, it meant that they would one day die. That was the consequence of sin that God had said. But sin has also then affected them relationally. There are other consequences. Because of sin, they have to... Um, put clothes on, they felt shame, and even their work and childbirth and even all of creation is affected by sin. Sin is never contained to the individual, it spills out. When we sin, it is not in a vacuum. Our sin tends to affect the world around us, the people we interact with, the relationships we have. Uh, Look again at verse 7. It says, when the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and the Philistines came and occupied them. Through this defeat, Israelites are forced to flee their homes. Israelites' towns come under Philistine occupation. The Philistines, by conquering these towns, are leaving Israel incredibly vulnerable. Um, The land of Israel, the promised land, is practically cut in two by the territory the Philistines take over. Israel's sin by asking for a king and the sin of Saul as their king has real consequences for the land of Israel. It has caused pain and suffering. It has caused oppression and death by the Philistines for those living there. Because sin has real consequences. If you are here today and you are not someone who has a relationship with Jesus, if you are not living your life wanting to follow Jesus, then according to the Bible, according to this, there are serious consequences to living like that. Death and eternal separation from God. And if you are someone who does follow Jesus, who seeks to live their lives according to his word, um, let me ask you this question. Are you living in a way that is obedient to the word of the Lord? Are you living in submission to it? Are you being faithful to it? Because as Christians, we are called to obedience. We are called to seek to live in a way which that honours God and honours what he has commanded. So are we being, are we submitting to God's word? As Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. As people who love Jesus, are we obeying what Jesus commanded? Um, Think about your life in relation to that for a moment. Um, Especially those uh, that are in leadership positions. Because those that are in leadership, especially in the church, 
the consequences of sin are greater and more serious. As we lead, are we doing so in a way that is obedient to the word of the Lord? Are there areas of our lives where we struggle to live in obedience to God as Christians? Let us ask ourselves, are we submitting to the word of the Lord in our relationships? In how we use our money? In how we use our time? Are we submitting to the word of the Lord in our attitude to those who we disagree with or we don't get on with? Are we submitting to the word of the Lord as we live a life as a witness to him? If we are challenged by any of that, I would, cha- I would challenge you to pray, to ask God for his help, to help us live lives obedient to his word, because we can't do it on our own. So, Saul is dead. Let's read what happens next. Um, in verse 8. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armour, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among the people. The Philistines find Saul's body, and just how a few chapters earlier David cuts off Goliath's head, they cut Saul's head off. They strip his armour and they put his armour in the temple of their gods. By putting the the armour in the temple, the Philistines are proclaiming, our God has beat the Israelites' God. Our God is greater than the Israelites' God. They fastened Saul's body to the walls of their city to proclaim that the Israelite king is dead. Um, let's look particularly at the verse, the verse 9. It says, They sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news. Um, depending what translation you read that, some will phrase that to proclaim the good news. In response to the victory, the Philistines are sending out messengers to tell everyone the good news of their victory, that they have been victorious. I am calling this the Philistine gospel. Gospel, the word gospel means good news. When we say we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we believe in the good news about Jesus Christ. So the Philistines here, they are spreading the good news. They are spreading their own gospel, if that makes sense. There are lots of gospels in this world. There are lots of things that look like good news. There is the good people gospel that we are all basically good people. There is the self-esteem gospel that we need to believe more in ourselves. The gospel of wealth, that material things, money, a good bank account, those are the things that will make us happy in life. There are many evangelists for these types of gospels, if you, you know, just look around the world for that. But as we look at the Philistines celebrate this victory, the Philistines celebrate because they think their God has beaten the Israelite God. But the Philistines are in fact just instruments in the Israelites' God, the Israelites God's hands. Um, God is accomplishing his purposes even through the dark days of this Israelite defeat. 
Because as we read on through 2 Samuel, we see that this is paving a way for David to be on the throne. And as king, David will defeat the Philistines. David will break the Philistines, as it says in 2 Samuel. This good news, this gospel of the Philistines that they proclaimed was not, in fact, good news for them. It, they would soon realize it was, in fact, bad news for them. Similarly, those who hold on to worldly gospels will at some time find that their gospel, their worldview, will let them down. It will be empty. That there is an emptiness to these gospels that they proclaim, that they evangelize for. Well, as Christians, we have an answer to the empty gospels of this world. We have a gospel. We have good news that is not empty. The gospel we believe in is a person, and his name is Jesus, God with us. God reconciling sinful humanity to himself. We who are unfaithful to God in our sin, whose sin affects our whole lives, whose sin spills out into the world around us, we who are deeply flawed, the good news is that this is not the end. That through Jesus we can have a relationship with the Almighty God. That Jesus bridges the gap, the chasm between God and us. The good news, this gospel is available to all, to anyone who believes in him. They shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this good news of Jesus is not temporary, like it was for the Philistines in this passage, but everlasting. It will always be good news. And finally, um, as we look towards the end of this passage, we come onto a story about a small group of men from a town, Jabesh Gilead. Um, if we read from verse 11. And when the people of Jabesh Gilead heard of what the Philistines had done to Saul and their valiant men, all their valiant men journeyed throughout the night to Bethshan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the walls of Bethshan and went to Jabesh where they burned them. And they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh. And they fasted for seven days. This group of valiant men from a town, Jabesh. And this is a town we've already come across in 1 Samuel. If we go back to chapter 11, at the very start of Saul's reign, we see Saul rescuing them from an Amalekite king. The Amalekite king, his name was literally Snake. He was King Snake. So we see Saul rescuing this people from King Snake. And at this stage, this is when we think Saul has potential. Saul could be a good king. And I'm sure the people of Jabesh thought that. When the Israelites asked for a king, they wanted someone that would fight their battles for them. Someone that would go before them and lead them. An Israelite put their hope as Saul to be this man. Now this this town Jabesh they had seen the best of Saul they had seen Saul at his peak in his in his reign and I am sure they put their hope into Saul um, but here we see that Saul the king they had put their hope in is no more as these men they go on a dangerous mission throughout the night into Philistine territory to rescue Saul's body and the bodies of his sons they then 
burn the bodies, presumably so the Philistines can't abuse the bodies anymore, and they bury them. And finally, they mourn for Saul and his sons. These men, they mourn for the king who earlier had rescued them, who earlier his kingship had looked so promising. And now they have the king, his, his body. The king is dead. Their, their hope did not last. Their king is no more. The king can no longer lead or rescue them. Saul cannot save them from the snaky kings of God's enemies anymore. And this is the end of the book of 1 Samuel. And at the end of 1 Samuel, we are left wanting, maybe a bit like the men from Jabesh Gilead, we are left wanting for a king. We want a good king. We want one that is faithful to the word of the Lord. As the story moves on, we eventually get that in David. He is a good king. He is faithful to the word of the Lord. He is a man after God's own heart. But even David falls short. Even David does not obey the word of the Lord completely. And we learn that Israel, we don't, they don't need just a good king. They need a great one. One that is completely faithful to the Lord. I said earlier, the events of this passage pave the way for David to be on the throne. And it's through David, it's through David's reign and through David's line that the great king comes. It is Jesus. He is the great king. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus' kingship is in stark contrast to Saul's. Jesus is the faithful king, the one who obeys the word of the Lord completely. Um, He is our perfect representative. He is our perfect substitute for sin. And Jesus is um, our eternal king. Unlike Saul, who's the men of Jabesh Gilead had to mourn, Saul the king who died, Jesus did die, but he rose from the dead and through his death defeated death itself. And now Jesus is alive forever. We don't have to mourn a dead king. We can worship one that is alive, whose reign is eternal and over everything, who will reign forever and ever. And um, our hope is not going to disappear like the men in this chapter, that our hope is secure, that um, in eternity, And we will see King Jesus reigning over everything. That in eternity there will be no more tears or suffering or death. Jesus is the great king who will reign. He is the faithful king. He is the eternal king. Um, So let us just uh, join and pray to our eternal king in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness. As we have looked at this passage, may you be revealing more of yourself through it. Your sovereignty, your holiness, your grace, your love. 
May you challenge us through this passage. May the life of Saul serve as a warning to us. May we look inside our own hearts to see how similar we can be with Saul, that we can turn and repent. May we fix our eyes on King Jesus, the great King who saves us from our sin, who saves us from eternal separation from you, Lord. Lord Jesus, you are our good news. You are the good news. Help us to know that more deeply in our lives today. May you, for anyone that does not know you, may you reveal yourself fully to them. May we come to know you more, Lord Jesus, as the great King who rules over all, who is glorious and powerful. Um, yeah, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is inspired by you and useful in everything. May we continually come to know you more through it. Uh, in all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.